and welcome to the prologue here on America's Web Radio. We're proud that you've tuned in. Now, our program, as always, is dedicated to those brave men and women in our armed forces and to the job that they do for all of us each and every day. We also include our first responders who are here back at home. Let's remember those police, fire, and rescue personnel who stand ready to come to our aid when we need them. Our thanks to each of you, and we also thank you so much for being listeners to the show. Now, my name is Doug Dahlgren. I get to be your host for this hour. I am a writer myself. I have several action fiction novels available out there on Amazon in paperback and Kindle versions. Uh, if you'd like, you can go through Amazon to order them, and I'd appreciate it if you'd do that. Or if you'd like, you can email me directly at Doug at DougDahlgren.com and we can see about getting you an autographed version. Now, one of the greatest perks that I've found in being a writer is getting to meet other writers. The opportunity to do this show has advanced that just tremendously. Not only do I get to meet these interesting and exciting people, I get to introduce them to you. Now, we have a terrific Georgia author with us today. Her short stories have appeared in several publications, including Southern Ezine and Do on the Kudzu. She's also appeared in the Christmas anthology, A Cup of Christmas. Besides that, she's a contributing writer to the Georgia Connector magazine. A graduate of Brown College, this accomplished author is a commercial pilot, an avid equestrian, <clears throat> a diehard Georgia football fan, that's a tough job this year, and has worked in public safety as a 911 communication officer. Her novels make up the series Coming Home. She brings us the first of that series today. The author is Tori Bailey. The novel is Coming Home, A Second Chance at Goodbye, and this is your prologue. Second chances are rare things, and when they come, if they come, they could go unnoticed. When people with an already strained relationship are drawn together by tragedy, what good could possibly come from it? A daughter with financial problems and her father's ex-girlfriend are faced with a death and the aftermath neither expected. Both have reasons to fight the situation they are left with, one for it and one against. It's a touching story most readers can relate to in some fashion, and one that all can enjoy as an escape. The book is Coming Home, A Second Chance at Goodbye. The author, Tori Bailey, is with us from her home in Athens, Georgia. How are you doing, Tori? Good morning, Doug. I am doing absolutely wonderful, and I also want to mention also, you know, how much I appreciate all that our veterans and our active military do for us and our public safety personnel. And coming from a 911 communication background, you know, our 911 communications are our front-line unseen heroes because we're that very first voice in contact that anybody has in an emergency. So I want to kind of give a little shout-out to my 911 friends. Well, thank you, and I hope it didn't appear that I was leaving them out. They're, they're definitely a part of that. Uh, when you reach out for police, fire, or whatever, you you definitely go through 911. So thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem, and not at all, you know, because we're all we're all one family and we work together as a team. Oh, yes, and sometimes those of us out here who use those services 
kind of overlook that when when it's calm day and nothing's going on, or we see an odd thing in the news about something that happened. Uh, we got to remember these folks are there twenty four seven, and they're ready to serve, no matter what the call. They don't know who we are. They launch into whatever the situation is, sight unseen, and I don't know how we can thank them enough. Anyway, we got a lot to talk about, Tori. I want to thank you first for being here today and taking your busy time to come and tell us a little bit about your books. Now, the theme of second chances plays through this first of the series, and it's characters helping each other. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, you know, the thing is, is we as human beings, um, we get so wrapped up in our lives that sometimes we we let go of some of those valued relationships that we had that kind of help form who we are and, and help, you know, mold the people that we we are today. And, you know, it's sometimes after receiving the news of of the passing of that that person that one time had a daily contact with our lives and influence on our lives, and how we sometimes realize that we allow our busy schedules in excuses as to why, you know, we, we can put off until tomorrow what we really should do today. And that's what, you know, the second chance at goodbye part of coming home is about is, is the reflection of, you know, sometimes the regret we feel that we didn't reach out when we should have. Excellent. Now, is there a personal inspiration for the storyline in this book? Actually, it is, Doug, because I was one of those people. I had, uh, in my, you know, in my early twenties up until my late twenties, you know, I had uh, someone in my life that really, really helped, you know, put me on a wonderful path in my life and and helped give me some great advice and and mentor me. And you know, I married, moved away, and it's like I say, you know, life gets in the way and you lose contact. And it wasn't until after a week after his funeral that I, you know, realized that, you know, the person had passed away. And, you know, just like I said previously, you know, I would, you know, I would always say, well, I really need to give this person a call or I really need to go by and see this person or, you know, I really need to go back and touch base with this person and say thank you for everything that you did for me, you know, during that time period in my life. And, you know, after the fact, it was just too late. So coming home is my way of saying goodbye to that person and thank you for everything that they did for me. Now, in your book, you've got uh, many characters, all very well fleshed out and relatable to the reader. The two primary characters, though, in Coming Home, Second Chance at Goodbye, the two primary characters are both female. Now, do you relate to one more than the other? Actually, I do. Uh, The two primary female characters is Maggie Cosby, which is the love that the... um, Matt Karras, who is the person who passes away at the beginning of the book, pushed away. And the second female character is Ann Harris, which is the daughter. You know, while I could really um, empathize with Maggie's, you know, regret in not reaching back out to Mac and in reestablishing that relationship, I really, really connected with Ann because at the beginning of the book, Ann is very bitter. She's very resentful. You know, she has for many years believed that, you know, her mother dies in a car accident when she's approximately about 12 years old. And her dad, Mac, you know, puts himself into his business, and she really feels like, you know, he abandoned her and that, you know, it was his fault that, you know, there was problems within the parents' marriage. And so she has a lot of resentment towards Mac. But through the course of learning 
more about her father and through the learning some of the misconceptions that she has about her parents' marriage, she begins to realize that it's her own fault that she missed the opportunities to have the relationship that she'd always longed for with her dad, that he was actually there waiting for her to come to him. And um, so she's the one that grows to me the most in the book. Okay, that growth. Now, this daughter, Anne, uh, as you mentioned, uh, has a tragic loss before this story actually begins, and it's related to, and it's very important to the story and the introduction of this character to the readers. Uh, I hope I'm not repeating or asking you to repeat what you just said, but how do you as a writer bring that character's existing state of mind into this situation? You know, you really think about how anger and resentment influences a person's motivations and how it affects them and and how they are with themselves as a person and how they present themselves. And you go from there and and you build upon that. You build upon how how damaging it can be to hold on to anger and resentment. Very good. Were, Were there any particular risks that you saw in developing this character? Yes, there was. Um, because of Anne's, you know, the the mentality that Anne has at the beginning of the book, she has also really, really closed herself off to the fact that, you know, love is, a, is an emotion that is worth any type of investment, that relationships are only basically there for the purely, you know, physical part of having a relationship and she you know she is so very walled off from letting anybody really into her because you know of of the feeling that she feels like you know well she lost her mom at a young age and, and she feels like her dad is you know basically you know left her alone and so she really kind of goes from relationship to relationship to relationship and um once she realizes through helping Maggie um, save Max business, which is Max Flying Service, she begins to realize that you know it's her own fault that she has the loneliness that she feels now. That these relationships no longer are able to make that ache of loneliness go away. And she has a wonderful character in the book that really challenges her and makes her realize that you know if she doesn't let go of this. She's never going to really find true happiness with herself. And so I took a big risk on that, but I felt like I needed to do it for the readers to really fully understand and appreciate that moment that she really experiences the emotion of love for the first time with an, you know, in a relationship. What kind of feedback are you getting from readers? Uh, readers overall love the books. Um, has loved the story. Um, the biggest, one of the biggest thing is um, when I first wrote Coming Home, the love scenes were a little bit maybe probably too steamy for my my market because now that I've really, the book has been out for a while, I've been able to really identify my market. So what we did with this next edition that's going to be coming out right after um, Thanksgiving is we kind of went back and we kind of toned down the love scenes. The love scenes are still there. The, the, the point of the love scene and the emotion is still there, but we kind of just kind of, we made it a little bit more G-rated. Well, now that was a question coming up here. Uh, what is 
or what are the age restrictions currently? Is there a particular age group that would enjoy this more than another? My age, my age group tends to be about 27 on up. I, I tend to go to um, probably the, the more maturian of the young adults uh, upward. Now, there's some experience talking there. 27, that's an age I haven't heard pulled out of the air before. You think <laughs> that people, people mature better at that age for, for what reason? You know, because you know, you've got a lot more life experiences underneath you. You know, most of the time by the age of 27, you know, you've done your education. Um, you, you're well within a couple of years of your, of your career. You've probably started your family. And you're kind of beginning to get maybe a little bit more handle and grip on settling your life into the way you want it to be. Well, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. So at this point, and then some of that now, are with the addition coming out after Thanksgiving, is that going to lower this age, or are you still going to be in that ballpark? I would like to think it would lower it a little bit, uh, because I okay. have had a lot of parents come to me and go, you know, my, I think my daughter, my teenage daughter, would really, really love to read this book, and I would have, you know, because of the way the love scenes were originally written in the book, I really felt in good conscience, I couldn't say, you know, I would highly recommend this book for your, your, you know, your 16, 17, 18 year old daughter to read. So now I would feel comfortable now with the way the book is is presented, and would it would be one that I could recommend a young young person to read. Very good. Listen, folks, we're here this morning with Tori Bailey. She's bringing to us her coming home series, and we're going to be back with Tori for more after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. I'm Pat Rulo, hostess of Speak Up and Stay Alive, patient safety radio, heard on America's Web Radio every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Now you and your loved ones can stay safe from little-known health care and hospital hazards. Join me Thursdays at 9 a.m. or listen to my podcasts on AmericasWebRadio.com. For more information, visit SpeakUpAndStayAlive.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. 
Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back. We're here on the prologue this morning with Tori Bailey. Tori brings us her Coming Home series, and primarily we're talking about Coming Home, A Second Chance at Goodbye. This is the first book of the series, and we've been talking a little bit about background and character development and such. You know, before we get too deep into this story, tell the folks where they can find this book. How can they order their copy? Well, the third edition, which is the Coming Home with the subtitle, A Second Chance at Goodbye, will be available right after on Black Friday, actually. And the best way to, to purchase the book or find where you can purchase the book is my website, www.readtorybailey.com. All right, folks, that's readtorybailey.com. Spell your last name for us. B-A-I-L-E-Y. All right, that's a simple one, but you'd be surprised how folks get lost. I want you to get out there and find that website, folks, and look around. You can do that while you're listening to us and uh, just get familiarized with the book and place your order now. Now, Tori, research for this book included a great deal of your own personal first-hand knowledge. As we've said already, you are a pilot, and you have a love for horses and other animals. Now, as, as a writer, is there a danger or at least a temptation of getting too deep into the subjects that you're very familiar with, like flying and horses and such? Yes, there is. You know, and you know, the thing is, you got to think about it is, and I, you know, this really thinks in my comes in my mind a lot when I'm working on editing and getting to that final master manuscript. You know, there's a lot of good act- acting on a cutting room floor, where there's a lot of good writing that gets cut and deleted out of your manuscript. So, you know, the first thing is you, you just put it on paper. You put everything on paper, and then you go back through the rewrite and editing process. And then you start asking yourself, the one question I always ask myself is, you know, how significant is this to the story and moving the story forward? Or am I being a little bit indulgent, you know, from the writer creative side and putting this there for, putting this here for, you know, my personal, you know, in, enjoyment? Right. How did you combine those totally separate worlds? I mean, aviation and horses, uh, that that's far afield. Uh, how did you combine those into this book? Well, I, you know, I knew that Maggie was going to come back and try to save Mac's bil- uh, business, which is Mac's flying service, which gave Maggie the aviation side. Um, because the thing is, the, in, in the kicker in, in the beginning of the story is, Anne is just so positive that this business is going to be left to her in her father's will because she's the sole heir to his estate. And imagine her surprise when she shows up to the reading of the will, and there sits Maggie Cosby at the reading of the will, and you know finds out that her dad has left Maggie the business, which really sets a lot of fireworks in motion there. So you know Maggie, you know it was just natural that Maggie would have the business side, and I wanted I like giving my female characters 
interesting. I like to make them interesting. I, I like to give them, you know, make them strong and independent. And so I was thinking, I, I just got thinking, why don't we let Ann take and have her own horse farm and be successful in, in managing her horse farm? And I lived on two horse farms that I absolutely enjoyed. I actually rented a stable hands apartment on a Hanoverian farm that did dressage. And I loved it because my neighbors nickered and neighed during the night. And then the second farm I lived on, I actually rented a 14-acre farm where I had three horses. And I combined those two farms in my experience and made that Ann's farm. Now, with all this going on, what genre would you classify coming home? Um, fiction or, or is this, you know, what would you call it? It's a fiction romantic suspense. And I'm going to tell you the thing that has, we were talking about my readers. The one thing that really has caught me by surprise is the number of male readers that I have had to come back and say, I like your books. And I've got, I've got several of male readers that are waiting for my third book. And I never, you know, when I wrote this, I was writing this in my mindset for, you know, female readership. And I, I was really surprised to see the feedback from the number of guys that have read my books and like them because of the suspense part. Excellent. You read my mind. That was going to be the next question. The emotions, you spell out emotions very heavily uh, in this particular story. And uh, I was curious if you considered it to be a woman's book, but you've answered that question very well. It's good to hear from both sides, isn't it? Yes, it really is. Now, do you have the basic good guys and bad guys in this, or is it just something that the reader's left to determine? Oh, yeah, there's there's very clearly defined um, good guys and bad guys, and then there's a, one character that I leave the readers guessing because I, you know, I again when I write, I write the way stuff that I myself would like to read, and I don't like cookie cutter books that halfway middle of the book you've already figured out where everybody stands and how the book is pretty much going to end. So I always like to throw that one red herring in the story to to keep the reader guessing: is he or is he not, you know, a good guy or a bad guy, and should this character really be in a relationship with this person? With, with all the interest that you've got going, and, and you're a busy person, what got you first started thinking about writing, telling stories? You know, I'm really glad you answered that, because I get asked that question a lot. You know, there's people who will say, well, I've always wanted to be a writer ever since I was, like, you know, able to pick up a pen and put it to paper. The thing is, is writing has, and when I look back over my life, writing has always been that patient friend waiting in the background for me to discover. I've always enjoyed writing. I've always enjoyed being creative. My mom used to tell me all the time, you know, quit, you know, I, I would always create imaginary worlds and imaginary friends, and she would just kind of like get frustrated with me about that. You know, but the thing is, is that was just the creative side of me coming through. But it wasn't until the passing of my friend that really propelled me to sit down and start writing creatively. I've written training programs. Uh, I was a flight instructor, and I was also a training coordinator for a 911 center. So I've written professionally as far as writing professional newsletters and training manuals and, and things like that. But the creative writing really didn't come 
to the front and center until I sat down and started working on coming home. Many writers out there are big-time readers. Now, have you always been a reader? Yes, and I have to thank my mom for that because I grew up in Washington, Georgia, where we have a beautiful library. It's the Mary Willis Library, very historical library to um, Georgia. And my mom used to take us to the library in because she was a reader. And one summer she challenged me that if I would read so many books, she would give me a dollar for each book I read. Well, her sister, her youngest sister, is also an avid reader, and that's when she showed, and I was about 12 or 13 when that when my mom made this challenge. That's when my aunt showed up with a grocery sack full of Harlequin romances. I exceeded my mother's challenge that summer, and the thing that she wanted to push me into doing really kind of became a nemesis for her because eventually it got to be, Vicki put that, uh, yeah, Tori put that book down, um, I need you to go help me clean up the house or something like that. So <laughs> You get wrapped up in it. Yes, exactly. You know, something else, you mentioned a while ago the friends and, and that, and I want to go back and say, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting you, I guess it's been about six weeks ago, up in Brasselton, Georgia. You came over from Athens and your husband, uh, and you and I were a part of a group. I think there were eight of us there, eight authors, that met at a little uh, shop, the Brazelton Gallery, and, and quite a marvelous shop that it was. And uh, I asked permission, and they allowed me to bring my recording equipment up there, and we, we recorded little segments of everybody who was there for uh, a show that we played. Oh, I guess we, we played that about five weeks ago here on the air. But at any rate, those folks, had you met any of them before, or was that the first time you... That was the first time. That was my first time getting to meet the other authors at the Brazelton Gallery. And I have to, you know, hand it to Deborah. She does a wonderful job in getting a lot of good, talented artisans in the shop and also a good good group of writers. Oh, they were. It was just amazing to be around that talent. You, of course, were there, and, and we, we kind of had our little tables adjoining each other. And Sally Ann Short was there, Jacqueline mm-hmm. White uh, Fran Stewart, who is going to be on the show here in a few weeks. Milam McGraw-Prost. Uh, Milam was on a couple of weeks ago. We had a great time with her in learning about her book. Uh, Dale Kramer was there. I'm throwing names out, folks, because I can, okay? Uh, Jackie K. Cooper. Uh, folks in Georgia know about Jackie K. Cooper. He's rather famous. Uh, writes for the Huffington Post. Does a little YouTube thing about movies and book reviews. Uh, and is quite an established writer himself. Uh, all of these folks were there in this little tiny space, and it was just amazing to get to meet everybody and, and see how terrific they are. That, that's a part of this and what I get to do here that uh, absolutely just makes it fabulous. I enjoy it so much. And I got a great kick out of meeting you, and you agreed to come on the show, so here we are. Well, it was a pleasure, and we had we all had a you know we all had a blast that day because of course whenever you get a group of artists or writers together, it's going to be an interesting event anyway. Oh yeah, well that one certainly qualified as an interesting event with the rain and everything else. Now, before we get too far down the road again, tell the folks one more time where they can find Coming Home the series. You can find it on my website readtorybailey dot com. All right, readtorybailey.com, and uh, 
We want to make sure that you get onto the website, look at that, order the book. You've got a new version of the first one, A Second Chance at Coming Home, that will be coming out, uh, you said, after Thanksgiving. So that's just about two weeks away. Yes. All right. Very good. Uh, what else are you working on right now? I'm working on the, uh, my third book, which is Love Made from Scratch, which is going to be the final installation to the Coming Home series. Wow. Okay, give us that title again, Love Made from Scratch. Love Made from Scratch. Excellent. Well, we got something to look forward to then. Folks, my name is Doug Dahlgren. We are here on the Prologue, and we're on America's Web Radio with Tori Bailey. She's brought us information about her Coming Home series, and we're going to be back with Tori after these messages. Stay safe from little-known health care and hospital hazards right here every Thursday morning at 9 with me, your hostess, Pat Rulo, or listen to my podcasts at americaswebradio.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the prologue. We are here this morning with author Tori Bailey, and she's telling us about Coming Home and the first book of that series, Coming Home, A Second Chance at Goodbye. Now, Tori, great books and movies seem to have one memorable quote, okay, something that hangs in the reader or the viewer's mind as they finish. Is there one favorite uh, particular quote in this story that you hope affects people that way? Yes, and I'll tell you what, Doug, um, there's actually, and I'll kind of throw you a little bit of a small curveball here, there's actually two, and the one when you say if there's one quote that I want the readers to, to carry with them when after they close that final page and book is that, um, you know, death may rob the soul of the uh, rob the body of, of of its living capabilities, 
but it's the the way that person touched other people's lives is the the reason why that how that person's soul continues to live because we continue to emulate the things that people that have had an influence on us in our lives um, through our own lives. And that's how that person kind of still continues to live on through us. But as far as the funny and humorous side, because I love putting humor in my book, um, and it's, it has to do with Anne. And we've kind of really talked about how Anne in the beginning of the book is a little bit on the promiscuous side. And um, she has agreed to meet a gentleman friend at the airport for a dinner date. And the only reason why she agreed to meet this guy is because the guy that is going to really be her love interest that really challenges her and makes her grow as a person and in her relationships um, is Keegan. And he and they had had a little bit of a tiff earlier in the day. And the gentleman friend calls her right after she's had this tiff with Keegan and says, hey, you know, let's go out to dinner. And she's like, sure, let's go out to dinner. You know, she, you know she's kind of cutting her nose off to spite her face is essentially what she's doing. And so she says, well, why don't you pick me up at the airport? You know, because she's really wanting to rub it into Keegan's face because Keegan does not like this guy. And so, you know, she comes back all dressed up and looking really nice and, um, and she does this really because she's really wanting, she really has regretted her decision to go out to dinner with this person. And she's really wanting to show Keegan, let Keegan see her more as a woman and, and, and see, you know, her feminine side and not this, you know, angry side of her. And so the guy shows up and he comments on how nice she looks. And Keegan, who is just ate up with jealousy, but he doesn't want Anne to know that he is jealous of the fact that you know, she's had, she's going on this date, kind of mutters underneath his breath, well, you must not be used to seeing you with your clothes on. And when that, that, that line just popped in my head as I was writing that scene, and I could just literally hear the sarcasm dripping in his voice as he said it. And Anne hears it, and it really stings her because it really drives <laughs> home the fact that, you know, she, you know, this great impression that she is wanting to make on Keegan is really overshadowed with the bad re- the bad actions that she has displayed, you know, previously in the beginning of their getting acquainted with each other. Well, I, I see your point there, but uh, you know, is that how he meant it, or did he did he mean it uh, from the fact that he was now jealous of somebody else's attentions? Oh, he was jealous of somebody else's attentions. There you go. So, uh, so he he was wanting to claim that for for his own private stock, I guess, which is a little sexist. But anyway, <laughs> we we get we get that way in romantic situations. So you actually have two memorable quotes that people can look for. And again, that's kind of up to the reader. They can uh, they can pull out what they think uh, strikes them. The, these two are from the writer's point of view, and they're both tremendous. Uh, you know, the reader might find something uh, that they like even more than that. There's another aspect to writing and storytelling. Uh, telling a good story is tremendous and is very important, but music plays such a role in our lives every day, everything we do. How did music help you frame some of these characters' feelings in this book? 
music, you know, could you imagine trying to watch a movie and not have any music in the movie to help drive the emotion and the experience? I mean, it's part of the storytelling. And even though this is written word, when I sit down to start writing, coming home, there were three songs that really, really helped me frame myself mentally and emotionally for where my characters and and Maggie were in, throughout the story. And for Maggie, there was two story. There was two songs, and one of my favorite Broadway plays is Phantom of the Opera. I absolutely, I made my husband take me to Phantom of the Opera, so he does not like going to Broadway shows and. Yeah, it's one of those times the wife just kind of put the foot down and said, I want to go and see this. And from that, from Phantom of the Opera is a song called Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again. And that song just really fit the framework perfectly for Maggie. Because Maggie starts out, you know, really full of regret and, and, and longing to have this one last conversation with Mac. And then, you know, just like the song transitions to the middle, you know, she becomes reflective over, you know, the, 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 the memories and, and, and the experiences that she had in having her relationship. And then it transitions to the third phase, which is where Maggie will real, real, begins to realize that she has got to say goodbye to Mac. She has got to say thank you for you know being you know there for me and helping open the doors that you open for me but also at the same time help me learn how to say goodbye which is actually one of the lyrics from from the song you know help me say goodbye because if Maggie doesn't let go of Mac and if she doesn't let go of the past she is going to lose that chance of having a future of love with the one guy who has been there in the background from day one you know, wanting a relationship with her, but being respectful to the fact that, you know, she was involved with Mac. The second song for Maggie is an R.E.M. song, and, and, and I, just, I just thought this is so appropriate with this being an Athens-based novel. How could you not mention one of the biggest iconic bands to ever come from Athens, which is R.E.M.? And that was their song, Everybody Hurts. And the thing with Everybody Hurts is it was more the melody that helped drive the emotion of Maggie. So when I was writing the scene where Maggie goes to Mac's grave for the first time, I looped that song in my playlist and just listened to it while I was writing that whole scene. The third song, which really helped describe and just define Anne, was again another REM song, and it's Sweetness Follows. And the opening lyrics to the song really, really, really defines Anne in the fact that, you know, it's, you know, how, how are you willing to bury your mother and father? Um, you were blind to one and basically, you know, not even willing to accept the love of the other. And, and I know that's not the exact lyric, the way the lyrics go, but that's pretty much the gist of the lyrics. And when that song really helped me write the scene when Aunt Ethel, which we've not talked about, but Aunt Ethel is a secondary character who is the voice of reason throughout the book, sits Anne down and says, look, you know, I've kept my, my silence for so many years out of respect to your parents, but they're dead now, and I need to tell you some things or else you're going to continue to be destructive with your life. And so I wrote, when I wrote that scene, again, I looped that song in my playlist to... Keep you know to keep myself into 
the melodies and the lyrics of, of how Anne was feeling emotionally at that time. You know, that makes a whole lot more sense than you even realize. Everybody out there has a particular song or maybe a group of songs that can just instantly, you hear it on the radio, you hear it somewhere in somebody's iPod, it's too loud, but it instantly transports you back either to high school or to a situation that you're in. And this is a little writer's secret there, folks. This this music helped this particular author to get back and retrieve that mood that she was trying to relay to you with those written words. So, uh, I mean, that's very important. I think everybody out there can relate to it. And now everybody's going to be out looking for uh, REM albums and try, trying, to, trying to play their old cassette tapes or whatever that they have at home. <laughs> so, but that's that's neat. That's very good. Do you mention those songs in the book? No, I don't. I don't believe I do because, again, you know, I didn't want to really. I didn't mention them in the book because, again, I didn't want to get into any type of copyright issues. Oh well, I think okay. Well, I understand that. But now we've got folks out there that are just going to be wanting to hear those as they read the book and and pick up on what you were talking about. And I think that's going to enhance the enjoyment for them. I really do. Right. Uh, and I actually have the, the the songs will be linked on the website on the Coming Home page, so you can oh, that's cool. you know, click and play the songs from the website. Oh, good touch. Very good touch. Now, another thing that writers use uh, to transport their readers into their world are locations. Now, you use several different settings that uh, people can identify with, particularly folks around our area of the country. And readers just love that kind of stuff. You use Athens, Georgia, as we've already mentioned, St. Simons Island. Uh, there's several places in Tennessee, which is just north of us here. And you even mentioned the 57th Fighter Squadron. It's a restaurant oh, yeah. here in the Cab County area of Atlanta. Now, do you visit all the locations that you use in your stories? Yes, I do. Um and I, I usually go and visit the location. I take a camera, my digital camera. I shoot pictures, and I also will shoot video with my iPad because um, that's very important to be able to put the. And I actually have a huge storyboard in my office where I will pin those pictures up. So when I'm writing a scene for a specific area, I can go back and look at those pictures. And it, you know, it helps put a lot of the little details into the descriptive part of the of the of the scene. And also one of the biggest marketing things now for writers is, you know, people are very visual and so it helps create a lot of marketing um, promotional items for the readers for readers to be able to go back. I have a Pinterest page and each book will have a board and readers can go to that board and actually see the places that are inspire, that inspire the scenes in the books. Now, do you catch yourself when you're on vacation just traveling around for pleasure, uh, stopping to take pictures or making notes when you're supposed to be out on the vacation? What's a vacation? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always working. Um, always yeah, working. Yes, I do. And I'm telling you, that's another thing about being a writer is you have got to get outside of the four walls of your office because – you know, something that we haven't discussed is in the book there's two pictures that sits on Mac's desk. And I was out out with my husband going through an art gallery one day, and I walked up and was found myself standing in front of this picture with this young girl um, with her face leaning against the, the muzzle of, of a horse. And it was a beautiful picture. And 
And it was just like the moment I laid eyes on that picture, I was like, that's Ann. That is wow. teenage Ann and her horse, Dapples. And, you know, I, I phoned, took a picture, and, and you know, and, of course, I didn't publish that picture out of respect to the author, or, or not the author, but, the you know, the photographer and the artist. But, you know, it was there for me to draw upon to create my own image of Ann and her horse. Absolutely. Folks, we're listening and getting some real deep insights into the writing of Coming Home. We're talking to Tori Bailey here on the prologue, and we're going to be back with more after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's web radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back. We are here with Tori Bailey. Tori brings us Coming Home series, and we've been talking a lot about Coming Home, a second chance at goodbye. Uh, you mentioned earlier the character of Ethel. Now, she plays a very big role in this first book of the series. And without giving too much of it away, tell us a little bit about Ethel. Aunt Ethel, you know, everybody, everybody has that one aunt in the family that, you know, is, is the, the go-to person when you don't want to go to mom and dad. Um, aunt Ethel, when I started writing her, she is a combination because I have some wonderful aunts. And I just rolled my aunts into that one person, and I rolled a little bit of my grandmother in her. And I could just, you know, she is just a good southern aunt. You know, she's going to be that one that will snatch a knot in your tail when you need it, but also be the one to keep your best secret if you need it kept and, and cover up some of your wrongdoings when you don't want folks to know about it. So, you know, she, she, is, she is that voice of reason. Now, I want to explain to our worldwide audience that snatch a knot in your tail is a, a rather descriptive southern phrase that we use for being corrected. And uh, I, I'm sorry, but you don't hear that too often. That's a good one. Yeah, and that's one of the things. I am very southern, and, and, and for the longest time I thought, well, maybe I need to take and work on getting rid of my drawl a little bit. But, you know, that's no. part of what makes Tory Bailey Tory Bailey in my writing is, you know, Absolutely. is giving that southerness to to my storytelling. 
Absolutely. I just loved hearing that, and I had to explain to folks who might be going, what in the world is she talking about? But uh, that is a severe correction, I might add, so you don't want to have that happen to you. Now, that, the character of Anne Ethel is so important to you that there's actually the second book in the series is called Ethel's Song. Now, that one's out already. Tell us a little bit about it. Yes, Ethel's Song, um, when I started writing Coming Home, I knew all along that in Coming Home, on Ethel, and there's another character, Madison, um, who are secondary characters, really needed their own story. These two needed their own love story. And the book... I already had the title in my head, which was Ethel's Song, before I even started creating it. And um, I was like, okay, well, then that's how Aunt Ethel got her name Ethel, was because I knew there was going to be a second book, and I knew it was going to be titled Ethel's Song, and that was about as far as I went in, in knowing what it was going to be about. But once I started fleshing out Aunt Ethel and giving her her, her, her voice, I was like, okay, she's, you know, she's going to be the second book. And she and Madison are in. So the second book, even though it is the second book in the series, if you've not read the first book, you're not going to be lost if you pick up the second book and read it first. Because that's another thing, as from being a reader, is it's nothing any more frustrating than to pick up a book and realize it's the third or fourth book in the series and you're totally lost. So I, you know, I keep that in mind when I write a series. And so Ethel's song starts out with, you know, Aunt Ethel and Madison is 30 days away from their wedding day. And when Madison proposed to Ethel on a beautiful summer evening down in St. Mary's, Georgia, you know, she wanted with all her heart to tell Madison that, you know, yes, she would love to marry him. But there was one part of her past that she really hadn't shared with him and because she just never really expected Madison to propose, and that was that she was already married. And 27 years prior... The man that she was married to, named Howard, was very abusive, and he left her. He walked out of her on her one night with two small sons to raise, and Mac came in and helped her. And, um, of course, after Mac's wife, her sister, passes away, she moves in and, and helps with raising Anne. And so, you know, you know, Madison's like, you know, hey, that's fixable. I mean, and once he understood all of the backstory of, you know, why she was married, and the fact that she just had never really thought about getting divorced or dissolving the marriage because she just never figured anybody would ever want her because Howard had left such bad emotional scars on her. So she's 30 days away from getting married, in the middle of you know running a very successful catering business, in the middle of planning her wedding, everything's great, first grandchild christening, and it's the day of the christening, their family's Sunday dinner, and everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And in walks Howard 27 years later. And that's where the story really starts to begin to unfold is where has he been and why is he back and who brought him back? And will he stop the marriage? And I'll tell you, folks, this, the, these are very page-turners, as we call them in, in the writing business, or words we like to hear from our readers. I want to mention a couple of things. Coming Home has been honored in several ways. There's two I want to bring out. Uh, you, Tori, are a featured author, and this book is being sold at the famous Blue Willow Inn, which is outside of Atlanta, a little area called Monroe, on I-20 going to the east. And also, uh, the University of Georgia 
shows Coming Home as a featured book representing local authors from the Athens area, uh, and it's a, it's displayed in the University of Georgia Library. Now, congratulations on both of those. How did that happen? First of all, the Blue Willow Inn, um, wonderful people down there. Miss Billy, I tell you what, she you know she could easily be on 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 Ethel because she doesn't meet a stranger and she makes you feel like you you're at home when you walk into the Blue Willow Inn. Um, also, Judy Staples, who um, runs and manages the gift shop. You know, I, I went in one day, and that's one thing about being a writer is you know you've got to really know how be confident enough in yourself to to go and talk to people and talk to your local retail um, shops and businesses. And I highly, highly believe in supporting my small businesses in the area. And I just, you know, I went in one day and talked to Judy, and I was like, you know, would you be interested in hearing coming home? And um, she said, yes, absolutely. And um, so you can, you'll be able to get both coming home and Ethel's song at the Blue Willow Inn. And as far as being selected for University of Georgia, again, it goes back to supporting your small businesses. There's a wonderful little independent bookstore in Athens, Georgia, on Prince Avenue called the Abbott Bookstore. A wonderful group of people. It's a beautiful little shop. And the gentleman that selected my book found my book at the Abbott Bookstore in Athens. Excellent. Want to transition and talk about your family a little bit? Your husband Bruce. Well, why don't you tell us about Bruce? Tell us about your family life. Okay, Bruce and I celebrated 20 years of marriage um, this past October, and we're actually going to celebrate it. And I have a big birthday coming up next month on the 11th, so we're going to Disney World to celebrate my birthday. But well, happy um, birthday! Thank you, and our in our 20 year anniversary. But um, Bruce. Bruce has 20 years of experience in law enforcement. Um, he is still active in law enforcement, and also he is a potter. And, and the kind of the running joke in between us is I'm the writer and he's the potter. And so he makes wonderful functional pottery and face jugs, which face jugs are very um, well known in the North Georgia area. And um, also we have six cats we don't all our children speak meow and leave hair everywhere (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we have six cats all of our cats are rescue i have bear and squealer which are now our senior cats they're they originally started out as our babies but they're our senior cats and then we have munchkin who is a neighborhood cat who took up with us and um there for a while she just used us for a bed and breakfast and then we have zippy I adopted Ziffy from Boss Brothers over in Loganville, Georgia. He's solid black, and he is actually going to have a short story in the Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Very Good, My Very Bad Cat, that's going to be coming out in February called Zippy's Greatest Adventure. And then we have Colonel, and Zippy and Colonel are both solid black. So therefore, while the joke in our household is we'll take any cat as long as it's black, and then the last one, which is my spokes cat, Tori Bailey has spokes cat, and that is Zane. And Zane is a gray and white cat. And I tell you what, that cat, I tell you, if Satan came and knocked on our front door, he'd open it up and say, who are you? I mean, he <laughs> runs the house. Well, apparently we pleased Zane this morning because we haven't heard too much out of him. <laughs> I understand he's there monitoring this. Look, time, time is the enemy here when we're, we're having a good time like we have this morning. I want to ask you about this. Last year, through a 
a, a dear mutual friend, you and I and many other selected writers were published in a special little Kindle anthology that's called A Cup of Christmas. It's available on Amazon and Kindle only at $1.99. Now, Barbara Barth, who is an author herself and one of the greatest author advocates that anyone could ever meet, pulled this thing together, and, and as I said, it was you, me, Barbara, and some 29 other writers who were involved in this collection of Christmas stories uh, that were published in Kindle format, and this is to benefit. This is a charity benefit, the first book program. It's a children's literary charity, and all the proceeds go to this uh, particular charity from the sales of this book. Uh, Bailey, I know you were, Tori, I know you were as happy as I was to be asked to be part of this thing. Tell the listeners about your contribution real quick. Yeah, and I'm going to I'll, I'll make it really fast. Barbara pulled this thing together in about 30 days, and my short story is the year Daddy shot the Christmas tree. Yes, it's a true story. Only in the South can you say that my dad shot the Christmas tree. And uh, it is in there, and Barbara did an absolutely wonderful job pulling this together in such a short time period and helping such a great charity um, first book and helping getting books into hands of children because those who read, you know, it opens up world to them. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And, folks, sorry we don't have any more time to talk about that, really, but I want you to go. You can find it on its own page on Amazon, A Cup of Christmas. Or if you go to Tori's page, I think it's listed there. I know it's listed on my page and any of the other authors that were involved. You make a great gift uh, and also one for yourself, okay? Tori, this has been great. Is there anything that we've left off before we shut it down for the hour? Oh, don't give me a doorway. I'll talk another 30 seconds. Uh, no, everything, uh, it's been a pleasure being here. I have really enjoyed it. Well, listen, we thank you so much. It's been a pleasure bringing to our listeners coming home a second chance at goodbye and also the rest of the books in the series. Uh, folks, that's going to be it for this hour. I thank you so much for tuning in. If you or a friend or a guest that you know of would like to be on this program, have them email me at Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or also Doug at DougDahlgren.com. We'll see about getting you on the schedule. So, hours go by quickly. And for this one, thanks again to Tori Bailey for being here. And from us to you, be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not one of Tori's, maybe one of mine. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.